I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. And welcome back to the show. I'm your host for this episode, Dan Moyle, and I am joined by the one of the child advocates for DASIS, uh, Marissa Presbytero. Marissa, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So you work for DASIS and you uh, have some expertise and you have some research because today we're talking about something really, really powerful, um, interesting, uh, a little bit off. I mean, it's on topic for us, but a little bit of a different take. So, so here's where this started, listeners. Uh, for so long, when we've talked about, especially on this show, we talk about domestic violence, we talk about uh, abuse, and so often we frame it in the idea of uh, intimate partner violence, right? A spouse, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, your partner, someone with whom you are in relationship uh, and your adults. But we got to thinking behind the scenes that maybe sometimes that's not the case. Maybe sometimes it's uh, a parent exhibiting abuse toward their children. And, you know, me personally, Dan here uh, thought, you know, abuse from a parent sometimes in my mind think I think of like somebody who spanks too much or uses you know a wooden spoon or something and, and like gives bruises and stuff but it's not always the case uh, there's emotional abuse that happens in this kind of thing and so I asked Marissa to join me uh, as our child advocate to unpack uh, what it looks like you know how, how we can find out if we had abusive parents uh, if we are an abusive parent whatever that looks like. Um, so abuse outside of the spousal relationship. Does that sound about about right, Marissa? <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Um, it's really unfortunate because I do think a lot of the times children are the like forgotten victims of intimate partner violence because they are witnessing it all. They might not be the target of the abuse or the abuser, mm -hmm. but they definitely are seeing it. They're hearing it. And I mean, as a child, you know that you're part of each parent. And so when one parent is intentionally hurting the other parent, it's making you seem like half of you is bad. Mm. So it's a really hard feeling as a child to sit there and watch your parents fight. And um, a lot of the times, unfortunately, our school systems and other systems don't necessarily know how to recognize when those um, things are happening in the household. So um, they just never really get taken care of. So, so it can also be abused by, by proxy, so to speak, like mm -hmm. collateral damage, I guess, huh? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. A lot of the times it's abused by proxy. You'll have, even after, um, the uh, abuser and the victim leave, a lot of the times the abuser will still try to 
use the child in a way to hurt the other parent. Um, and it's really unfortunate because as a child, you know, that you, like you're there and they don't really understand that it's hurting you instead of the parent. It's obviously hurting that parent as well, but um, it just shows the lengths that um, some assailants will go to, um, especially if it's going to hurt their children. They don't really care that it is hurting their child. Hmm. Wow. There's even a lot to unpack there. I hadn't really thought of my, my thought coming in was, you know, how, how do we recognize how a parent is abusing the child, but even abuse in the home becomes abuse to the child. That's how do we even start to um, help? I mean, outside of, you know, I don't know how many children are listening to our show. Hopefully someone does with this one, but even outside of that, I mean, how do we begin to help these children, you know, recognize it in them, find them help? What, What do we do? And so I really think it's going to start with teachers first, because teachers are the ones that are seeing them for a good majority of their day. And, um, they see more than the parents do most of the time during the day. So um, it's really important for teachers to be trauma-informed and to understand the effects of abuse on children and kind of, um, instead of, um, you know, trying to um, just think that kid's a bad kid, a lot of the times you need to look back and be like, okay, what's their story? you know, what's going on at home. So you'll see a lot of kids acting out if they're experiencing abuse, a lot of sleeping in class because you're not getting sleep at home, especially if your parents are fighting. Um, Most of the times they're fighting at night. So that's most likely going to keep you up. Um, You get super anxious because a lot of times you don't know what you're going home to. You think you could be thinking, you know, if I get home is mom or dad going to be mad are mom and dad going to be safe when I get home? Am I going to be safe when I get home? So you get a lot of like unattentiveness in class as well. Um, So it's important to have the teachers learn what those look like. So then they can report because most teachers in most states are mandated reporters, um, but the signs aren't always picked up and they're often labeled a bad kid instead of um, being able to cope with their trauma and take steps towards healing. So to be trauma informed and to recognize those red flags, um, mm-hmm. and to, and to understand that. And, and, and I, and I like how you talk about teachers, um, even, you know, as we're recording this in 2020, everything's virtual, but there's still things to be able to see in that. Um, and teachers really do spend so much time with our children. They are the front line, um, when it comes to that what other, so, so let's, I want to back up here a second, just for me. Um, one of the resources you sent over really framed this so well, emotional abuse happens when a child is repeatedly made to feel worthless, unloved, alone, or scared. Um, it's also called psychological or verbal abuse, uh, happens to be the most common form of child abuse, uh, constant rejection, hostility, teasing, bullying, yelling, criticism, exposure to family violence, that exposure to family violence is what you mentioned. Um, and the impacts of this emotional abuse are just as harmful as physical abuse. Uh, so if any of that sounds familiar, if you're a teacher, if you're a, a, an aunt or an uncle, or, or if you're a young person listening to this, if any of that 
sounds familiar. There's most likely abuse happening. It sounds like what are, what are some of those signs that we can look out for? Um, you talked a little bit about things like sleeping in class. Uh, what are some other signs that we should look for in our children around us that might be signs that they're being abused? Um, sometimes you will get a disclosure. Um, in those cases, it's, it's really important to be understanding and not overreact. Yes, what you're hearing is terrible and sometimes it's so hard to listen to what they're saying. Um, but sometimes you will get disclosures and sometimes it'll just be accidental where they're like with a friend or something and their friend is allowed to do something that they're not allowed to do at home because they have an abusive parent. And they're like, oh, wow, it's so cool that your mom lets you, you know, go watch TV without having to ask, or you can do this and you won't get yelled at or you won't get hit. Um, so looking for those. And then also just a lot of um, kids will show a lot of anxiety and low self-esteem, especially because you are being told repeatedly that you're worthless and that, you know, um, you're not doing something right or you're a failure or you're this or you're that. Um, because a lot of times with emotional abuse, you have that withholding of love and acceptance from a parent, um, which is really, really important to build a high self-esteem. And if you're not getting that at home, odds are you're not gonna get it, um, especially with once you go to school and you're labeled as that bad kid, you're not getting it at school either. So um, you'll see a lot of kids with low self-esteem um, later in life, not even much later, but you know, teenage years, you'll see um, risky sexual behavior, um, use of drugs or alcohol at kind of an early age um, and hard times keeping and maintaining um, safe relationships and healthy relationships because you don't know what they look like. Um, so you've never seen really a good example of what a healthy relationship is. You might have some family members that you can sort of look to, but really your main source of your relationships later in life are based on what you see your parents with. And if your parents are always fighting or constantly belittling you, you're not going to know how to have that relationship. So as we're thinking about those signs of what abuse looks like, you know, from the child's point of view, what, what are some, can we, can we talk about some behaviors that might constitute abuse from a parent? You know, um, you mentioned uh, controlling behavior, right? A parent always has to give permission before you do anything. Obviously, yeah kids need permission for some stuff, but, but when it's all the time, if it's controlling behavior, what other behaviors from an apparent might constitute abuse? Yeah. So you'll see a lot of, um, little to no regard for their child. Um, and that could be in any way. Um, they also will talk badly about their child. Um, they'll do this to just normal people or friends or family, and they'll start talking about their child, but then they'll start you know, saying how my child's not doing well in school and they'll just talk terribly about the kid, um, which as a child, you're gonna most likely hear that because you're usually with your parent. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll see a lot of that. And 
that's another way that they abuse. Um, not being affectionate is another one. Um, they just aren't very self-involved a lot of the time. So they just don't really care what the kid's doing as long as it's not bothering what they're doing. Um, and then a lot of the times the children won't have their medical needs taken care of, or it could be um, even their like hygiene or something like that, where it's just the parent doesn't really want to take care of that. And so um, they won't. It sounds like abuse can take many forms and sometimes just seems almost hidden, you know, things we need to look out for. Um, yeah. And, and it, and it sounds too, like, as you're describing some of that, you know, the, the criticism, the just talking bad about them, they're kind of just dehumanizing that child and not seeing them as a, as a, as another person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of times with um, emotional abuse, whether it be intimate partner or parent and child, you'll see a lot of just like dehumanizing and berating of that victim. And, you know, most of the times they don't think about their feelings, nor do they really care about the feelings of the other person that they're talking badly about or treating badly. Yeah. What do, do we help? Does DASIS help? children? I mean, if, if, if there's a, a young person that's going through something, can they call our hotline? Yeah, they can. Um, so when they call our hotline, if they disclose abuse, we do, we are mandated reporters. So we do that, but, um, we can give them child advocacy services so they could come, they can meet with me. Um, in that COVID times, we do healthy relationships in the schools and the juvenile detention centers um, where we go and we visit and explain what a healthy relationship is and kind of show them the signs of, you know, what an abusive relationship could be. Um, and they can come get um, therapy services as well. So that's all available to them free. Yeah. Nice. And is it like let, let's look let's look for some hope if if there's an abusive relationship between a parent and a child does that necessarily mean the child is just going to be taken away if i'm if i'm being abused am i going to lose my parents is there no. hope like what happens yeah. there is hope so a lot of the times the first step to healing is the victim getting help first um they can learn how to de-escalate certain situations they'll work on building self-esteem and all of that um to help them cope with what's happening. Um, and then you'll also, if the parent is willing to, or um, the abuser is willing to, they can get their own help as well and start to form a better relationship with their child. So there definitely is hope once you realize that an abusive relationship is happening, it doesn't mean it's going to stay that way forever. Mm-hmm. And, and, what kind of help is available for parents? What does that look like? If I'm if I'm hearing this and thinking, okay, maybe I need some help, where, where do I even start? So we do have parenting classes where the parent can come. Um, you can also work with a child advocate because a lot of the times a child advocate will work with the parent to help them with parenting skills and helping them form that bond with their kid that maybe they weren't getting before. Gotcha. Marissa, how did you get into this work? This seems like such a heavy subject and and I can't imagine 
seeing children who are facing these things and being able to function as, as myself, like as an adult, I don't know how, what I would do. How did you get into this work? Yeah. So, um, as a child, I, um, unfortunately grew up in a household that domestic violence was present. Um, so I do have some firsthand experience, but then, you know, I just kind of wanted to look and see how I could help other children not have to, you know, feel the same way or see um, their parents fighting. And it's really, it is heartbreaking sometimes, but at the same time, you know that you're helping that child heal and start to grow as a person. And, you know, even as a child advocate, um, I could be one of those healthy relationships they have where they could come, they can tell me all about their day. We have like, we start having a bond. So a lot of the kids that I work with, um, I have a really good relationship with and, um, at least I get to show them what a healthy relationship looks like with an adult. And so let's, if, if someone's listening and they've, uh, realize that they know someone and then this could be again locally you know our podcast goes around the world um there are like there's the national child abuse hotline 804 the, the, the number four a child uh they can go to our website how else can we begin to raise red flags if we see this so one actually new way i don't know if you know much about it but um a lot of TikTokers are starting the trend of save our children. So you'll see a lot of um, that. And a lot of social media is starting to kind of look at what save our children is and start, you know, trying to spread awareness. So I think really media attention is going to be our best bet for uh, spreading the word. And I mean, this podcast is because it might get to somebody who might look at a kid and be like, okay, well, you got, you're exhibiting signs of being abused. And, you know, that's usually one of the first steps to getting that kid help. Mm-hmm. And, and why, I mean, why is it so important to get these young people help as soon as possible? Yeah. So emotional abuse has the same, if not, or, the similar effects on the child as physical abuse. You know, you might not see bruises and broken bones, but you will see it manifest in other ways, like a lot of anxiety. Um, but the children, um, they, hang on. I forgot where I was going. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll ask it. I can ask it again. Yeah. Uh, Um, so Marissa, this, this might sound like a, a, a duh question, but why is it so important for us to help these young people like now get them out of abuse and, and turn this around? Yeah. So, um, emotional abuse has the same effects on a child as physical abuse. It has, you won't see the bruises, the markings, but you will see the anxiety and everything, but a lot of the behavior that follows being abused um, and the effects of it can manage long-term. And if it's not getting taken care of, the kid can grow up to have their own issues with um, alcohol and drug use, poor mental development, hard times keeping their relationships. 
and it can even lead to criminal behavior. Um, and then unfortunately, um, there are some children that have grown up in abusive households that do grow up to be abusers themselves. So it's about breaking that cycle. Yes. I, I remember that as a motto back in the day. I don't know if that was still a thing like, yep. you know, that, that, that does happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a thing. It's very generational. Um, like we were talking about with the relationships, if you aren't seeing a healthy relationship between a parent and child, um, then you're not going to know how to treat your own children. You might think that it's very normal because that's what happened in your household and it's not normal and it's not okay. But unfortunately you just don't know what you should be doing or you don't have the skills to do certain parenting. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting <clears throat> as we're talking about some of these red flags, as I'm looking at the, the research and some of the resources, I'm a parent. I have two daughters, 14 and 15 right now. Uh, we're a, we can be a sarcastic family at times. We can be, you know, give each other hard times and that kind of thing. And so sometimes some of these things that I'm reading, I'm like, wow, am I doing that? It like, is there, I don't want to call it a gray area, but how do you look at that spectrum of like a family's dynamic? Maybe we're a family who just likes to get boisterous and passionate about our discussions, but then we're fine. We don't make each other cry necessarily. Uh, or if we use, you know, uh, sarcasm sometimes and we make jokes, you know, with each other, but what we're okay with it. Like how, is there a spectrum or is it just all we need to stop being bad behavior? No, there definitely is a spectrum. Um, so it's like really easy for parents to go, oh, you know, I sometimes tell my kids certain jokes that maybe I shouldn't, but it's at the end of the day, the intention, um, a lot of the times it's either deliberate um, through negligence or inability to actually take care of their own child. Um, but you'll see with a lot of people who sort of are afraid that sarcasm might hurt their kid. At the end of the day, sarcasm is okay. It's healthy um, to grow up with. And um, you'll, at the end of the day, your child knows that you love them and that you don't actually think that about them. Children that are being abused, you do not know that. They don't think that their parents actually love them. They're afraid that they're going to do something to make their parent mad. So I think as long as you let your child know, hey, I love you for who you are. I love this about you. And really just showing them that affection and that love and not withholding it from them if they're not doing something right. Like if they don't do well on a test, not being like, well, I can't love you or I can't give you a hug because you didn't do well, where you should be a little bit more empathetic and let them tell you about it and how they can come to you and talk to you if they're feeling certain ways. Yeah. That's good to know. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Fa family dynamics can be hard, right? It's not always yeah. perfect, but if you're working at it and you're intentional, you know, you can get through anything. Oh, you know, anything, I guess. Um, Marissa, is there anything that I, that, that we didn't cover that you want to make sure listeners know about, you know, child, child abuse, abuse from parents, uh, domestic violence, what, what didn't I ask? Um, so one of the big things that we should touch on is um, the underreporting of child abuse. 
Okay. It is probably one of the most underreported things, even more so than intimate partner, because, you know, it could be normalized in a house. So a child just doesn't know that it's wrong. Um, and a lot of the times it's thought of as a family matter. Um, so if you do suspect something, it's better just to call, you know, if you call your local child protective services or even make a welfare report to the police for them to go get, um, take a check on that family. If there's no abuse occurring in the house, that child, it's not gonna affect the parents. It's not gonna affect what they do to their kid. Um, most of the time they'll kind of look at it like, okay, at least somebody's looking out for my kid. Um, so if you do suspect that that's happening, making that report, because it's better to do that than to be sorry later on that you never made the report. Mm. So, so even the numbers that we have are underreported. We really have more cases than what we know of. Yes, they're mm. very underreported, um, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, again, you know, we're talking about emotional and, and verbal, psychological um, and physical, but it, you know, as you mentioned it, Marissa, I mean, words, words can harm emotional abuse can be just as hurtful as that physical abuse and the effects can last a lifetime for us. So we need to report them and help. So, yeah. uh, well, Marissa Presbytero, thank you for being a child advocate for DASIS. Thank you for sharing your story, uh, and, and how we can help. Um, thanks for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.